Welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I am joined today by Pastor Gary Motes from First Baptist Church of Anchorage. Gary, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about being on this podcast. I mean, uh, th- there's a lot of good things happening, and I'm glad we get to talk about it today. Yeah, we uh, we get to talk every Tuesday, you and I, <laughs> so that we're just bringing uh, the listeners in on this conversation that we have weekly and get to share some insights. Today, Pastor Gary's joining me to speak about church revitalization, specifically. Um, he's had an opportunity that he'll speak to of... Uh, being in some different churches and different stages of revitalization and growth. And, uh, you know, I've been in Alaska now for almost three years, and it's been great to to realize that if you're going to do ministry in any of the cities or towns in Alaska, you're probably going to have to be able to do some revitalization. There's such a great movement in the 1960s and 70s of church planting here, and a lot of those churches, for different reasons, have have fallen on hard times. And so figuring out how to bring new life in I think he's going to be a great encouragement to our listeners today. If you are just tuning in, this is episode 20 of the 10th and L podcast. Last week, I had the opportunity to uh, come to you on my own solo and talk a little bit about the most recent sermon series we were in called Welcome Home, dealing with hospitality and generosity and stewardship in the lives of our neighbors. So you can check that one out. It'll be just before this in the podcast feed, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So Gary, for today, I want to throw the ball to you out first, my friend. I know you well. I've gotten to know you well across the last year. Your family, your wife, and some of your adult children, grandkids, your dog, Dex is a good guy. Uh, but I want to hear a little bit about your story. For the sake of our listeners, would you talk us through your testimony? How did God call you, and, and at what point did you surrender your life to Him? Well, just real quick, I was brought up in a family that, that believed in God, mm-hmm. uh, but wasn't real active in the church. But there was a cultural understanding that God was real. And so uh, up until I was 25 years old, I had a faith in God in my mind, but not my heart. Hmm. And so at 25 years old, I did come under conviction, did accept Christ, and begin that new journey. Now, my wife, thank God, was a Christian Hmm. most of her life, and she was a great witness and example to me. So after uh, accepting Christ into my heart, I went to the church she attended. Uh, spoke to the pastor, was baptized, became part of that church, and three weeks later, called to preach. Wow. And so it was really fast, really quick, but spent the next three years serving under that pastor of that church until I went to my first church, and there for the next 20 years, I served in southeast Tennessee in two local churches. Both those churches were a process of revitalization. Both of them had went through splits. Both of them had had discouraging um, things happen in the pastors before. And so there was a great healing process that needed to take place, new vision. And so God has allowed me to do that. Now, my first intent at the first church was to pastor there 30-plus years and retire. Yeah, uh, But it didn't, it didn't work that way. Um, I was there 16 years, and the church got really healthy, moving in a positive direction, very happy there. And then God moved me to another mess. And so I went into the next mess and uh, was there seven years, went through that process. And then here a year and a half ago, uh, God brought us to here, to Alaska, to Anchorage, to First Baptist. And so we've been going through that process, which True North has been just a great part of helping this church to get back on its feet, get the vision renewed. And so uh, I'm enjoying this time. I'm enjoying this part. Good. It's interesting to me, you know, I'm only 31, and I think that for folks that are more my age, 
it's sometimes easier to just avoid a church that needs to be revitalized. I think sometimes we write a church like that off. We say to ourselves, they're too old, or there must be something that they're not doing right, and they got to deal with the, their consequences of that. And I think there's sometimes a temptation to just start something new without taking the time to care for those old, faithful saints who've been a part of that church, who want to do right, who've stayed when things have been hard. Uh, can you speak to a little bit, what are some of the really, though they may be challenging, what are some of the beautiful or positive things that a, a church revitalization can bring to a community? For a community to see an old church made new and, and to rekindle that vision, how is that different from a new church plant, and how does it bring some different things to the table? Well, a little bit of a side note. Um, I heard through the grapevine maybe you had a birthday. Yes, yesterday. Yeah, right, that's, that's right. what I heard. And, uh -huh. and so I felt you were a little wiser today. You said 31, I was thinking 30. So evidently a birthday happened, and yeah. you seem wiser just looking at you. You yep. look more experienced. I'm grown up now. <laughs> so so I felt that. You know, I wanted to take a minute to say that. But anyway, in, in the positive things that come about church revitalization is seeing a church get healthy again. Mm -hmm. You know, things that are not healthy, things that are sick, they usually die yep. if they don't turn it around, if they don't get better. And so one of the great things is, is there's no glory that comes to God by watching churches die. Right. And, and usually death comes from thousands of different, you know, issues. But, but the major thing is, is when a church loses a vision for reaching the culture and the community that it's part of right now. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to hold on to the past, you know, to get comfortable. Uh, not so much complacent, but comfortable. And so as you get comfortable in a church and you get used to doing it the ways you do it, sometimes you forget the next generation has to be spoken to and encouraged in a different way. And so if you lose that vision for the community, if you lose the, you know, a lot of times the community changes mm -hmm. around the church. Mm -hmm. The church doesn't change, but the community does. So we've seen so many churches move from the city to the suburbs. Why? Because that's where people were living. Yeah. And, and they weren't reaching that culture any longer downtown. So the thing is, is I, I get to enjoy renewing that vision. And I love that part. I love the part of helping people's eyes open to the possibilities of what could happen and also encouraging them to keep walking forward in whatever God wants the church to do at that moment. Right. So I enjoyed it. To me, there's great benefit in seeing new life breathed into something that's dying mm -hmm. and seeing it become another vital part of God's work and then allowing it to be expressed in the community in a way that is such a blessing because they see life in the church. And we've seen that here just in this last year with True North coming on board and being a part of what we're doing and, and seeing families coming in and out of the church and the parking lot and cars and people are driving by and they see life. And, 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 and also God allowing you to be a part of my life, uh, coming here, having another pastor to just speak into my life about the community, the culture, the, and and all those things that are happening about the past has certainly helped me, and I know it's helped everyone. So we're we're very blessed to have you and True North here. And that's been a two-way street for us as well. I mean, obviously, when COVID arrived and we had to find a place to meet, that, that, that conversation began before you were here, and I was able to work with some of your deacons, and they were so caring and, and loving, both wanting to protect your congregation, but also to try to facilitate our ministry as much as possible. But I think about two events specifically from the last 12 months that I think have been 
uh, very visible versions of the community learning that there is new life here at First Baptist Church. I think of the trunk or treat that we did last year, one of the very first events you and I did. We got to know each other standing outside in what felt like zero degree winds blowing at us and passing out candy and praying with people in their cars. That was a good one, and I think that that communicated that there's something going on here that's new. And the second was the 4th of July joint service that we had the opportunity to do where we worshiped together and uh, were able to hear one worship team, and you spoke, and we went out from there and had lunch, and it was just so cool to see all the people standing on the edge of the road for the parade, and I think they were potentially surprised at how many people and the different kinds of people that came out of the building at the end of our service, some older, some younger, some families, some single. And so I think that's a neat way where the community can have an expectation of a church that maybe from their perspective is is dead or dying or whatever. They don't know. They may not be believers. But to sort of surprise them with some life, I think that's contagious. I think people get excited about that. And that's been such a great thing for us to participate in as well. Um, Gary, you said that this is the third revitalization that you've been a part of. Uh, what are some things that maybe are, are differences between just a small church that's just going to be small for a long time and a church that actually needs to be revitalized? What, what puts a church in a position where they might go, we got to rethink some stuff here and, and maybe find a new way to do old stuff, small groups and teaching and worship and things like that? That's a great question. Um, when I think of small and large, I really think of health or sickness. Okay. I really don't think about size. You know, you can have a small family of three, and they can be healthy and happy, and you can have a large family of 10, and they can be sick and kind of distracted. And, and so I, I don't get into size as much as I do. I think healthy things grow. I think if, if you focus on helping a church get healthy, it naturally grows, mm. just like anything else. And so what I see in, in smaller churches, larger churches, what have you, uh, they're made up of people. And people are interestingly the same. People are people. And, and the cool thing about churches is we're not all supposed to be alike, and just like people. So I think different churches impact the culture or the community in different ways. So uh, they'll reach who they reach, and, and that's a good thing. And so what happens is, is as a church gets a vision and, and begins to move forward in that direction, it will draw people that support that vision. So I think it has to start whether you're small or large. Do you have a vision, and do you feel like that vision uh, is encouraged by God? Is it just a man-made vision where it's just good things and, and good events, or is it really a direction? Because I've seen God take little things in churches and make it great things hmm. just because uh, of their support. Like, for example, I knew a man one time that started feeding the football team on uh, Thursday nights. You know, they would have like a, a dinner for the football team at their high school, and it began to really impact that community. And it impacted the school, and it impacted the, uh, those families. And now, it's not something that would work. Uh, we do a little ministry here, market ministry, on Saturday. Uh, when they first mentioned it to me, it's not something that would work in Tennessee. Uh, people don't want to take the time to stop at a booth at the market and talk. But here it went really well. People were willing to sit down and talk about the Lord. And so it's very interesting. So it, to me, you have to really be in a prayer time whether you're small or large, seeking God's will for your church in that season because that also needs to change through the years. Sometimes a person or a church gets a vision and they just want to continue in that vision and they're afraid to make changes even when God speaks to them afresh. Uh, but you need to be 
uh, willing to hear from God daily, uh, not just a one-time season. And I, I think that helps. I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Is that is identifying that vision, does that fall more so onto the leadership of the church, or is that the members? And, and if it is the leadership, how does a church leader, even if they're not on staff, right, maybe they're a deacon or they're just a, just a leader in the local mm-hmm. church, how do they help other people catch that vision if it's going to be a change from what they're used to? I, th- I think every pastor operates differently. Yeah, uh, I think every pastor is unique in, in their gifting and calling, how God uses them, and I believe that's why God has different pastors at different churches. Myself, you know, just speaking of myself, mm-hmm. um, what I like to do is I like to come in and I, I begin with prayer for vision before I even step into the church. But as God gives me that vision, I know that we can do a lot of things good or we can do a few things great. And the way I like to do is I like to create a structure um, that can be healthy. Uh, for example, if you're going to grow, you have to have clothes that will fit you as you grow. If not, it will just become conflicting and, and it will become a, a stress in your life if you're growing. Sometimes growth can bring more stress to a church than even the, the failing. And so what you have to do is you have to set up a structure that's prepared for the growth. Hmm. And so I look at things like the ministries, the, the ministries that we have to work in, uh, discipleship, uh, outreach, uh, fellowship, worship, some of those main things. And then I begin to pray for leaders. Uh, I begin to pray that God will bring the leaders in that will focus on those ministries. That's kind of my style of things and, and my heart is that God will provide the labors. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they are few. But we pray for him, don't we? Absolutely. And I think that understanding that that vision has to be cast seems like something that would be a no-brainer. But man, I've got several friends, and you may as well, who get they came right out of seminary, and they had to do whatever amount of homework in seminary with making a mission statement and figuring out a ministry action plan and more or less kind of tinkering with this idea of a theoretical church. If they were a pastor today, what would they do and how would they do it? And I think that's a fine teaching tool for seminary, but some of these guys try to take that thing, and day one in their first pastorate, they're kind of trying to stuff that down everybody's throat, and their their leadership style is much more fighting against the sheep in the interest of God's kingdom than trying to help the sheep, trying to move more slowly, be calm. Um, if you don't mind, speak to that a little bit. From your perspective, in, in any kind of church leadership, whether it's a revitalization or not, do you think it's helpful for pastors to fight against their own people, or is there a better way to, to move forward to help create change and unity? Well, my goal is never to throw somebody off the bus. Yeah. Um, and I really don't want anybody to get off the bus. But I think the door has to be open. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people have to, to make a choice. Are they willing to follow uh, this new vision? And you want to love everyone, and you want to encourage everyone to follow. But it's really a choice. They have to choose whether they're willing to follow that vision. I learned that it's, it's easier to lead from the front than to push from the back. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can get behind people and try to push them into conditions they're not happy with. Uh, you can try to manipulate or to pressure them through Scripture or a mission statement and say, this is our mission, and, and this is the way we're going, and if you fall off the bus, you know, you fall off, and if you get hurt, you get hurt. I don't think that's the right mentality. I think the mentality is is to stand in the front of the bus as the driver and say, okay, this is the direction we're going, and we want everyone to follow. But if you're uncomfortable 
and, and you're asking to step off, we understand. Right. And so I, I, I really like, um, and most people are supportive, but I, I really like when um, the leaders can come together and, and really through prayer and through relationship buy into the vision. Because if the leaders are not buying into the vision, it's, ho- it's harder for the followers to buy in. Right. And everything you just described to me sounds like it requires patience. Would you agree with that? Yeah, patience and time. Yeah. Time, time. Yeah. And, you know, when I was younger, when I was uh, in my 20s, Pastor, and I felt like I didn't have much time. Ain't mm. that, you know, like that seems to be a little bit backwards now that I'm in my 50s. It's ironic. It's yeah. ironic. Yeah. yeah. Now that I'm in my 50s, I feel like uh, I've got all kinds of time when it comes to working in the church. You know, I think, like I said before a minute ago, that pushing people is never positive for me. Maybe used to, I thought I thought my responsibility was to help everyone get across the river. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I would drag them across mm. for their own good. Mm-hmm. And I began to realize that uh, it, it doesn't help anyone, you know, that you got to take your time and you got to encourage people to come across and you help them while they're doing it. And so I'd rather see the church all take hands and, and make a, rope, so to speak, of people yeah. across the river, and then we help others to come across in safety. Right. But it needs to start as a group effort. It can't be one man's vision. If God can give that pastor a vision, and I really think, as you were speaking about a minute ago, a pastor's role is to set vision, mm-hmm. and, and he has to be in a relationship with God to where he can hear it. And then I think the people have to be willing to follow. And if the leaders will follow, then you have a team working together, mm-hmm. and, and that helps. People working together is always better. That's right. <laughs> That's better. exactly right. Well, and I think one of the great things about a team, and this may be even more true in Alaska because people tend to come and go quite a bit, but when you find that core team of people that will buy into the vision and and not do it in the sense that they're just trying to impress you or they're playing some kind of game, but that they've in their spirit, they, they can sense that this is God's plan for the church, I think that helps as a pastor you know, it, it keeps everything from being all about you the whole time. And that can feel good, I think. I think especially for young guys who are early in ministry, if everybody in the church seems totally focused on the pastor, maybe that seems very positive and exciting because that's a lot of influence and you have a chance to speak into these important moments in people's lives. But eventually, if a church is going to grow, to use the metric that you gave, whether it's going to grow from 10 to 20 or from 200 to 1,000, that pastor is going to reach a point where he can't be with everybody and all their problems, and he needs a ministry team. He needs teachers and leaders and people that are really good at loving on other folks, even if they're not great communicators, and people that are great communicators, even if they're not super good at loving on folks. And so I think that speaks to your idea of wanting buy-in from the team as early as possible, is you want to build a family in the local church, right? You don't just want everybody to do what Daddy says because he's going to be mad if you don't. And I know some pastors who lead that way. I think leading like Christ, I mean, he brings his disciples in, some of them even before maybe they're believers necessarily. (laughs) We're not sure exactly where they land on that spectrum. You know, some of the decisions that they make and the things that they say. Uh, And so I think it's good to remember that team building is a big part of any kind of church growth. Um, Thinking about the demographic of who's probably listening today, who our church is at True North, um, we have a fair number of folks that are in the military that are going to move on at some point and go to another church. And I think for some of them, it would be easy probably to find a church that's similar to True North. But God may call them to participate in a revitalization. He may want some of these younger folks to get involved at a church that's got some problems, but there's some vision, there's some forward movement. Um, would you speak to two things? One, what opportunities does it maybe a younger couple have in a church revitalization that may be unique to them? 
And then two, what attitude will that younger couple need to maintain in order to be a part of the solution and not the problem in that church? Well, well, first of all, the opportunities. Um, when you're in a church that needs revitalized, um, there's, a, there's a feeling of death. You know, mm-hmm. There's a feeling of complacency, and, and, and there's not a newness of life. There's not, a, uh, there's not young voices being heard in meetings or in the hallways. And, and children and young people bring life. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring life to a home. Uh, now that my wife and I are empty nesters, you know, and I come home and there's a satisfaction in it being quiet. There's a satisfaction in being able to sit down and just enjoy watching what I want and not having to get people ready to get to the car or getting them in the car, getting them out of the car. But there's also was an excitement and a passion when we were raising our kids. Uh, and, and they were making life different. And I think when we have young people coming into the church, their ideals, um, the way they see the world, brings a newness uh, for that new vision. You know, it helps, it helps the church to see what the community and culture and next generation looks like. You know, I heard it many times growing up in the church world that the young people are the next church. Hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. the next church. And as soon as they get 20 to 30, then they can serve. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. Right. You know, in the Bible, I see that we're all one church. And so young people uh, have a vital role in the, in the life and the body of the, of, of the church mm-hmm. and the body of Christ. And so, so I would encourage young people to realize that their opportunity uh, in the church is to be faithful and also to speak out on the things that they see. But also while doing that, they ought to have an attitude of humility. Mm-hmm. They ought to have an attitude of respecting the heritage before. I know like sometimes we see in a church, we, we get to think the older people are just concerned about the carpet or the piano. But you have to realize it might have taken them years of saving yep. and giving uh, in order to buy that carpet. And it ain't that they think the carpet's more important than God. It's just the sacrifice and the years of commitment to get to that place. And so we need to have an attitude of respecting the past, but we also need to realize that there needs to be a vision for the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what older people do is they bring some wisdom, uh, some experience that they've went through, good and bad. But I also think the young people push us to be more relevant to this culture and the community we live in. And so I think if a person was to visit and get, uh, like we have a young man, when he first visited this church a year ago, there was no one here under the age of 40 probably. And he came one week, I spoke to him, uh, and I didn't know if he would come back, but he came back and he came back again and again. He's in his you know early 20s. And I asked him, why are you coming to First Baptist when there's no one that looks like you here? There's no one that he said, well, I don't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to come back, but he said, I prayed about it and God really spoke to my heart to, to be a part of this church and to get involved. And he was faithful to God more than his own wants. So if I'm talking to a young person right now that says, well, I could be in a church that's very event driven, very active, a lot of stuff going on for my age. Or I feel like God's leading me to this church that's in a really bad condition uh, and needs revitalized. I would say be faithful 
because God wants to use you. Mm-hmm. And, and he'll take some of those experiences of your past to maybe bring new life or breathe new life into that church. So I would come in with an attitude of, of gratitude, you yeah. know, an attitude of thankfulness that God wants to use you. And I think it's worth remembering, Gary, everything you said is spot on, that the folks who stay at a church that's suffering like that, usually it's one of two categories, right? There are definitely those who are there maybe because they want to be a big fish in a small pond to some mm-hmm. degree. But in every instance that I've interacted with any church that needs revitalization, there's always a handful of saints that really sense that their call from God is to stay and keep that church alive. They care about that community. Their bodies may have reached a point of age or, or poor health where they can no longer get out and do things. But man, they're still praying. They've still got a vision. They are desperate every Sunday to see somebody from that community walk in those doors and come and meet the Lord and find eternal life, right? And so I think that when a young person can can get around all of the differences that are probably in play and try to speak that gospel language to an older person that's been faithful. God is so faithful to us to build unity, isn't he? And to cross those mm-hmm. bridges. And I think we surprise ourselves. We we remember in those settings, especially as Alaskans, who many of us are far away from our parents or our children's grandparents, to find a church like that that's in need, but that can offer that sense of grandparent, you know, in the, in God's house. I think that's a really helpful and a really holy thing, and I think God will will faithfully bind us to each other so that those older folks would be a positive presence in the life of us and our children, and that, as you said, our children and our youth ourselves would be able to be a positive presence in the life of some of those older folks who don't want to see the church die and want there to be a legacy and to be a future. Um, Gary, let's speak now more to maybe pastors or church leaders even. I think oftentimes when a church needs to be revitalized, um, I'm thinking of a couple churches that, that you and I are aware of that are out in the valley. Um, oftentimes, they are without a paid staff member at that point, right? They don't have a pastor. That's part of why they need to be revitalized. They can't seem to call a new pastor. What are some steps that a deacon team or just normal church members who are in leadership, what can they do to begin preparing a church for the next stage of life. If they're struggling to find leadership, they've lost their vision, without just rocking the boat on every level, how can the average church member contribute to the next chapter of the life of a church like that? Well, I, I think it starts with loving who you have. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that uh, we, we don't need to focus on what could be. We don't need to put an uh, example up there that we need to strive toward a certain number or a certain uh, size in order to feel valued. Um, it, it would be a funny thing if you had one child and said, well, I'll love you when we have two. You know, I don't think we think that way. I think we come to the table saying, you know, we've been given this one child from God. Let us do our best to love that child. So I, I think the leadership and the pastor needs to create a, a family uh, environment that's healthy mm-hmm. And then uh, they need to love those they have. And it doesn't matter what age they are. See, we're all really one generation. It doesn't matter what age we are in this generation. We're all part of this generation, and, and we all have a purpose and a plan from God in order to impact this generation. So it doesn't matter if you're 70, 50, 30, or 18, or a teenager, or child, we're part of this culture, this generation, and so what happens is, is I think as we love each other, uh, we'll honor the good things in each other's lives and the good differences, but we'll also encourage the weaknesses. In other words, we'll encourage them as they go through these trials. You know, as older people 
are having to let go of some of that leadership, we'll love them through that. Mm-hmm. As younger people are trying to step forward into that leadership role, we'll love them through that. And so love seems to overcome so many obstacles in the church. I think you'd be very surprised if, if I was a pastor and I was in a church that was either uh, weak or, or dying or plateaued or, or declining, whatever word you want to use. Uh, they just seem to be in a place they're not growing healthy. I would say start loving those you have, pouring into the lives. It's so much easier. I find it interesting. At one time I did a character class uh, for juveniles, and we started with about 70 kids. And we had a group of missionaries coming in to help me, and, and they were there by court order, you know, and they had to go through this faith-based uh, training. Now, it was choice. You could do a secular but you could do this faith-based one. And so we had about 70 young people. As that got down in the next two to three years to about seven kids, I noticed some of the people working in that ministry got discouraged. Hmm. They were like, man, you know, we just don't have as many kids as we used to. And I said, that's the goal. We, we want to get this to zero. Uh, also, I had an illustration shared to me one time. If you went to the hospital expecting to bring a child home, and you get there, and they say, oh, uh, by the way, you have 20 now. Well, you're unprepared. You know, you don't, you don't have a nursery for 20 people, right? <laughs> right? I think sometimes our desire to have more people puts us in a condition as the church to make decisions and to do things that are not healthy. As you said earlier, pushing people when they're not ready, dragging people along when they're not ready. So I think we need to look for God's health. Because I believe God sins as we lift him up. He's the one that gives increase. Mm-hmm. And he knows when we're ready for that. So I would encourage any young pastor, any pastor that's working in a church that's struggling, I would say, listen, love who you have. And and that you might be surprised. It takes a lot of time just to love who you have. And then pray that God will send other people to help you love more. Yeah. And if God does that, you'll be able to increase at, at a healthy pace. But I'm sure if you're there and God's put you there, he knows you can handle that. He knows you can walk through that with those individuals that are hurting. And we see that a lot here in Alaska. Uh, I know there's a lot of churches that had their heyday here in the 70s and 80s, and and now they're in a place of plateauing or declining. Uh, A lot of young pastors are in the churches here. And, And so they're trying to walk through that on their own. I would also say to them, get into a group of other leaders. You know, uh, get into a lunchtime with other pastors or something, and they'll encourage you while you're going through it. They can relate. I think there's too much division in leadership uh, when it comes to pastors sometimes. I think they need to work better together. I agree. And some of the things that you have highlighted there as principles for revitalization are equally true for planting. You know, as we think about the next stages of church planting out of True North, and we, we begin to pray through who those individuals might be and, and have even worked a little bit outside the state to start to maybe build some networking and things to that, to that end, uh, that same advice stands for young guys in new churches to not try to do too much too fast, to not outrun your people and therefore end up having to drag them. I think it's easy for a pastor to start loving his vision more than his people, and then what do the people become? They become an obstacle, don't they? And when a shepherd begins to see his own people as in his way, that can sometimes be the point of no return for a church leader. Uh, you and I together, I guess about six months ago, were in a meeting. You probably remember what I'm talking about, where we heard a pastor speak of his membership in that way, and we both left that meeting thinking, 
that guy needs help. He needs to not be isolated anymore. He needs to not be alone because his loneliness is turning into bitterness for his people because they're not coming along for the ride. They're not contributing how he wants them to. And he's beginning to see them as in the way. He's beginning to think if he could just clean house and then get a bunch of new members, which if he can figure out how to just go get a bunch of new members, he needs to write a book and tell the rest of us how to do that. But if he could make that happen, I think he would. He, he begins to think his world would be easier. And we forget, I think, that our ministry is first to people. That's a theme that I've picked up on several of the things that you've said today. Well, as we land the plane here, Gary, I want to throw the ball to you real open-ended. Is there anything else that you want to bring up or speak to regarding revitalization? And if not, maybe just leave us with a closing thought. Well, what I think when it comes to everything we do, we need to look to Christ. You know, I mean, you know, we can have our opinions and our thoughts, and 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 God can use our experiences to help us, and, and that's all different. But, you know, Christ is the great example. Uh, he's the greatest teacher. Uh, he could heal the sick. Uh, he could part the seas. He could do all those things. But, you know, I noticed that Jesus puts relationship as a priority. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, and we're talking about churches and our ministries and the things we're doing today, but when he put together his ministry and his outreach to the world, he did it with people. Like you said, people are important. Uh, I think if our vision or our our purpose is bigger than the people, we've lost focus. Uh, I think we need to refocus on how God wants to use people. Uh, I'll give you a good example. My dad was a mechanic when I was a kid, and uh, I grew up on a farm, and, and it was easier for him to fix something than to show me. Uh, I love it that God's bigger than that, that, that God's willing to allow us to do it our way uh, with his support instead of him just pushing us aside and saying, let me do it my way. So I'm glad that God lets us to be a, uh, lets us be a part of his ministry. And so I think as he has all this great authority and he gives it to us, I think he teaches us a lesson to take some of the authority given to us and to give it to others mm-hmm. and to allow others to be a part of the ministry and let a lot of others. Now we might not think, and I know a lot of pastors get in trouble because we think we can do it better than everyone else, you know? And so uh, we don't take that opportunity to let other people be a part sometimes of the vision. I would encourage pastors to begin to look out at their congregations and pray to God and, and, and look for those that can be involved and then begin to support those people, not so much just the ministry. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see ministry come out of people. And that's what Jesus did. He took 12, he supported them, and look what happened. Yeah, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and then when he left, the ministry continued, right? And I think as pastors, a lot of times we see that that's not the case, that once a pastor has moved on, a church may die or may not be able to continue any of its ministries without him, and that to me is evidence of that pastor having not passed the ball like you've talked about. Well, that's about all the time we have today. For those that are listening, I appreciate you tuning in. Um, Next week, I'll be sitting down with a couple of members of our vision implementation team, and we'll hear an update from them. Having had all of the open forums that we've planned to have for the year, we're going to begin putting together some recommendations for the church in 2022. Uh, As always, church, you can submit questions, comments, ideas, concerns to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast questions, that'll help us get to your questions a lot sooner. We love you, church. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.